Content discussed on this podcast may be triggering for some individuals. So if you feel like today you can't quite handle it, that's totally fine. You can press pause and come back another day. Remember, we're always going to be here. And if you feel like you need immediate help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Everybody, welcome to episode one of If You Don't Mind. I am your host, Madeline Charrington. Oh, man, guys, this is just such an amazing day, isn't it? This is incredible. I am still in awe that I have pulled this shit together. <laughs> oh, God. I would like to welcome you to episode one. Uh, I am so, so excited about this episode because my first guest is such an amazing human being. So, uh, today uh, you will be hearing from the amazing Maddo. They are one of the most generous, kind, just genuine human beings I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. I met Maddo a few years ago when we were working a crappy retail job together, and since then they've become a very good friend of mine, and I was so glad they agreed to be on my podcast and be my first ever guest, and therefore first ever episode. Throughout this interview, Maddo is super honest about their experiences with depression and how these symptoms actually started happening when they were very young. We also talk about dysphoria, what it's like to feel confused about your gender, and how exactly you go about figuring that all out. Uh, just a little warning, we, there are references to suicide and self-harm, so if today you're not quite okay to hear about these topics, that's fine. You can come back when you're feeling a little bit more uh, up to it. So strapping guys, this is episode one with the beautiful Maddo. I really, really hope you guys enjoy it. Let's get started. Hey, Maddo. Hey, Maddie. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm super good. I'm I'm happy that there's a little bit of um, less like heat going around. Oh my god, yes. It's been too hot. I saw someone in jeans and a jumper yesterday, and I was like, ah, uh, yes, my season. <laughs> approaches i'm just so sick of being sweaty Mm, all the time all the time i just uh, i hate waking up in the morning and being drenched in sweat coming home being drenched in sweat i have to shower like three times a day Uh, also our electricity bill came (gasps) no guess how much it was what how long over how long for three months so a quarter oh god um just guess five hundred dollars no higher (laughs) It was nine hundred and ninety dollars. <gasps> like what oh the God. fuck? I know. Wow. I know. Well, my housemate hasn't been telling me how much the energy bill is, so <laughs> I'm in for a nasty surprise later. <laughs> why has it? Why have they been telling you? Well, I don't know. John's just very disorganized. <laughs> yeah, John. <laughs> You've been warned, John. Yeah. Um, Maddo, thank you so much for agreeing to be 
on my podcast. Dude, it's a joy. Um, what a lot of people won't probably realise is I've actually interviewed you before, but I fucked it up. Hey, do we know? This is what happens when you're like learning to do something. Yeah, dude. Is you will screw up many, many times. times. <laughs> many fucking times. So I really appreciate you dude. <laughs> just being like, yeah, of course I'll come and chat to you yeah, again. Yeah, I don't mind. I know, but it can be quite intense when you're talking about mental health stuff mm. and then to be like, oh, can you do it? Can you do it again? <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, you have to do therapy every week, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How is therapy going? Oh, I'm pretty good. I actually haven't been for a while. Yeah. Mainly because I was away over Christmas. Mm. And then and then my therapist was away. And then I had a note in my diary like, contact Monica, and I haven't yet. So... <laughs> Monica, if you're listening to this, Matter will, <laughs> will contact you. Please text me. Oh, God. Um, I think what I wanted to start off with today was mm-hmm. the fact that um, when we met, which was at, which was about two years ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we met about two years ago. And I remember we had this very intense conversation and you were like, yeah, I'm on, I'm on this, I'm on this drug called lithium. I don't know what's oh, dude, going that on. That was six months into our friendship. Was wow. it really? Yeah. Oh. Our first conversation, I vividly remember this because <laughs> I was very scared of you as, um, the like, you only worked Sunday shifts and I could see you in the roster. I was like, wow, who is this Madeline? Like, she has these shifts that are really good. And then like, I come in and she's like managing and I'm like, oh shit, who dis? Anyway, then we had this chat and cause I had only worked in the other, Shop, everyone. We work in a shop. (laughs) (laughs) Retail guys. Yeah. And I had only worked in the other shop that we had in the same center, which was less busy and less stressful. So then I was very intimidated in the big store where there was a lot of stuff going on. And we had this very intense conversation about trans rights and pronouns. Not mine, just in general. (laughs) Did we? Yeah. We had this. And I was like, ah, this Maddie, we're going to get along just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Is that, wait, is that the day that I asked you which? pronoun you'd preferred and you were like oh no one's ever asked me that before um maybe but okay. i don't remember that okay i have this one memory of us unpacking stock into a really specific place <laughs> and having this conversation and like i don't think i served a, a customer the whole time <laughs> <laughs> okay so it must have been later when we started talking about this whole you being on lithium and it was yeah. just like wiping you out oh my god yeah so I... what was happening what was happening in your life at that time so what had happened was i after a long time of my life, um, I finally got serious and went to therapy properly. I was just having a lot of issues with study. I wasn't really able to do a lot. And um, eventually my GP, who I really, really like, talked to me and she was like, is med- medication something you've thought about? And I was like, yeah, dude, obviously. Like, I've been like majorly depressed my whole life. I'm pretty sure that is something that I will need in my future. She was like, oh, okay. And then at that time I had like a provisional diagnosis of bipolar um Hmm. and so i was put on escitalopram which is what's the name of that one lithium no and then lithium so lithium is a mood stabilizer Uh uh-huh and then escitalopram is an antidepressant it's a really common one oh lexapro yeah lexapro that's my one yeah yeah lexapro so they all say like you know it will take after you have to give it three months kind of to see what's going on and i'd been on it and i had my, because I went on it to at the end of semester because I was dying, <laughs> and I was like, I need to do my exams, and I think a little bit placebo. My doctor was like, sure, just do it, <laughs> just go on it. Like I think she Take was like, something. you know, you'll probably not do so well either way. At least this way, maybe you have the placebo <laughs> helping you out. And then I was going into the next semester, and I remember I had started seeing um 
a psychiatrist as well and I remember having an appointment with her I was seeing her every week and she was like how's your week been and I was like look the only word I can describe my week with is tired I am exhausted and it was just in that session that I really realized how tired I had become and like because I think this is common for a lot of people with mental health issues that like we often are fatigued we're tired like it's pretty defining feature yes so tired yeah all the time and so like that had been part of my life for many many years and then it wasn't until this appointment that I realized like I was so tired that I would get up at like 10 go into class for like an hour not be able to do it because I I was so tired that there were I could see that there were words on the on the slides in my lectures but I couldn't make the letters into words and I'd kind of copy them down but I was zero comprehension like I was melting and then I'd come home and it'd be like three o'clock and I'd just go to sleep and then I'd get up at like six probably have a piece of toast and then just go back to sleep like I was exhausted all the time and my psychiatrist said so do you think the medication's working and I said to her "Mm, I'm not so sure (laughs) she was like okay let's just go off it and I was like okay she was like look you're not even on high enough dosages of the com- – and the, the issue with lithium as well is that um, in high levels it can be toxic. You can only increment it very, very slightly every every week or whatever and then you have to have blood tests and then you have to so – I was this was the kind of process was that I would go to my doctor or my psychiatrist and then they would up the dosage like one tablet. So I ended up taking like four tablets a day or something ridiculous. Then I would up it for two days and then I'd have to – I had to take it twice a day. And so then I would miss my night dosage, go to the – blood people in the morning and they would take my new base level and then it would be just to make sure it hadn't got toxic and then it would be too low not like it was like I was safe but I was not feeling it wasn't at a therapeutic level yet so then we'd have to do that over several weeks and so we were still doing this and I was so exhausted and my psychiatrist was just like I just don't think this combination is worth it like what's the point of doing another six weeks of trying to reach properly therapeutic levels for what? Like, you've had no, no nothing. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I'm one of those people that will just do what the doctor tells me. Like, Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, we're not medical professionals. We don't know what to do. Yeah, literally. So I'll just be like, okay, like, sounds good. I'll just cut it. Bye. So I did. And then I actually don't really remember, but I vaguely think that I got less tired pretty much immediately. So that was fine. And then I was still seeing my psychiatrist pretty regularly and – I eventually kind of fell back into a depression. <laughs> and again, she she's a very – I love her because she actually um, doesn't let me just do what people tell me to do. <laughs> and she'll be like, you know, that's not how it works. And I'm like, tell me something to go on. <laughs> just tell me the answer. Yeah, I want literally. the answer to my mental illness, please. <laughs> just fix it. Fix it. Um, but anyway, I started on Deloxetine, which is Cymbalta. And I started on that probably a month after I'd stopped – or two months after I'd stopped lithium and escitalopram. And then I just had the placebo. I My brain is very placebo-friendly. Mine like, too. I find that too. Dude, I could take a sugar pill. Someone tells you it's a Panadol. I'd be like, wow, I've never been in less pain in my life. <laughs> like, seriously. So I was on what I later discovered was literally not even a therapeutic level. Like, this is like if you have the placebo. <laughs> Did, and it worked for you. It worked. Well, for a while. So it worked, yeah, for quite a while. I did my end of semester, did really well. I had the whole summer where I was just working. And so I didn't have a lot of external stresses to like limit the time I could take to take care of myself. And then went back to uni. And again, things got 
progressively worse. I ended up having to take like six weeks off work, kind of a combination of looking after myself and also like saving what little uni I could for that semester. I ended up having a week literally in bed all day every day except I had um <laughs> I had a show on at the same time I remember yeah. this I remember yeah. this you didn't you weren't at work for like six weeks but I was still doing a show but you did the show and it was so funny because I tried to I tried to pull out but one of the other cast members it's a it was a comedy show where we all have little um little bits in lots of different like sketches and I tried to pull out I'd I'd really been considering it and the director was one of my was my housemate's really good friend and then I'd heard through my housemate that someone else had pulled out and I was like oh no I can't pull out you can't do it too and it was like a few days before the performance like in my mind it was already the point of no return and then someone else pulling out I was like okay I have to do this um so yeah I would be in bed all day like melting and then I would just like go to the show be exhausted people be like want to go out for a drink I'm like dude I've had four Red Bulls because I'm exhausted and I'm going home now (laughs) yeah so I ended up it was actually pretty bad I missed a lot of uni and I had to be <laughs> escorted by my housemate to uni because I had this very, very compulsory class because I couldn't – I didn't feel that I could be outside on my own. So I was dying, basically. <laughs> That's such a scary place to be in. It was very that scary. That you need your housemate to literally take you to uni. Yeah, I couldn't – I didn't trust myself to be on the highway, mm. basically. Mm. And, yeah, my house – I had two housemates at the time and they had to stay home. Like, they had to have one person kind of looking after me. Yeah, which I think, bless him, one of my housemates didn't fully comprehend, I don't think, why mm. or that he really had to be there. And then my other housemate was like, dude, you cannot leave Maddo alone. So then he got to pick the movie that we watched. But, you know, a bit of compromise. I respect that. That's a fair compromise, I think. And it was not too bad, so that was fine. What movies did he pick? I don't even remember. It was one that I was like – I'd rather stick pins in my eyes than watch this. And he was like, no, it's funny. And I was like, ugh. And then actually it wasn't too bad. It kind of was my kind of movie. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Fine. I'll take that. So, I mean, like, let's backtrack. Yeah. I remember when, before we kind of started this whole interview process, you mentioned that when you were quite young, you started experiencing depression. I think at, like, eight years old. very young. So what was, like, I think as a kid, I didn't really, I don't think I was you know, capable of knowing what depression felt like or being mm. depressed felt like. Mm. What does that feel like as a kid? I think for me, when I was very young, I would just cry a lot. And my mum would come in and be like, oh, what's wrong? And I would just be like, I miss my nana who had died when I was, I think she was, I was six. And like, I just kind of was like, I, that has to be the reason. Like, what other reason do I have to be sad? I think it was a little bit like, but maybe to begin with, it was true. But moving on later... That's what I just said. And then I do have a really vivid memory. I think I was in year four, so I would have been nine. I came home from hockey in the morning and I was just so sad. I was like, God, I can't be at home and I can't be at school. Where can I go? And I told my mum, like, I just want to fall asleep and never wake up. And she told me, um, I think out of love, you should never say that. And I know it was out of love, but I think that it's something that stuck with me for a very, very long time of not being able to communicate those emotions because, yeah. like, my emotions scare people. 
So I think that kind of just sat with me for a long time. But I think, I don't know, I think it's something I've kind of held on to, like this like false belief of like there must have been something that either I did wrong or that someone did that would have caused this. But maybe mm. therapy will find out. <laughs> <laughs> and did that continue, did these continue uh, feelings continue on until you were in high school? Yeah, pretty much. I um I pretty much just kind of copped it for most of my life. I ended up being um like one of those very high achievers who then would go home and like cry and cry themselves to sleep, being Bye. like, I don't belong in this world. <laughs> um, I know how intense those feelings were and those memories, but the way I remember it, I'm like, oh, what a loser. No. <laughs> but like, not in a mean way, like in a, like in a, oh, we're all teenagers. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, I kind of see it as like, not that everyone went through that, but like, oh yeah, that's just life. Being a teenager. Yeah. Being angsty. Yeah, definitely. I was very angsty. Yeah, but I think a lot of, we all go through that kind of like, teenage angst but from what you've described like to me in the past like that probably was the next level yeah definitely next level. definitely the next level um, yeah I how old would I have been in year nine I think that makes me 13 mm. turning 14 maybe sure we'll say that um and I I started um self-harming or maybe I can remember the very first time but I'm not sure like it just kind of happened can I ask you what, the, like, the method was? Yeah, so I would cut myself and then later I would also um, burn myself. It was very isolating, I guess, to not really have anyone to talk to about those kind of things because I think as well the few people that I had kind of opened up to, nothing came of that. And I was in a space where I was like, I don't really know why I would thought this, but I think it's relatively common of, like, you would have to drag me to the hospital to, for me to seek help. Like, you would have to forcefully treat me. rather Like, than- remove you from your home. Yeah, like I would not have – if someone had been like, I think you should talk to a, a therapist, I'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> um, now I'd be like, ah, oh, yes, sign me up, <laughs> please. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I remember when I was in year nine, I think, my family kind of suspected that I was self-harming. And um, and I think I had sussed that they had sussed. And so I had stopped cutting myself on my wrists. And mum at one point like pulled my jumper up and was like – and I was like, see, there's nothing there. And in my brain, I was like, haha. I win. <laughs> um, now I was like, Jesus, <laughs> sort that's, it out. Dear, yes, that's intense. Yeah. And I think, though, I still harbor some sadness that I wasn't kind of, for lack of a better term, like forcefully treated because I think maybe that would have helped me in the long term. But, yeah, then that same kind of time period, I also got sent to the school therapist, which I was livid about because I kind of to this day less so, but I had this massive perfect facade, not always in academia, but in like character. And so I was so angry that someone had like dobbed me in for lack of a better phrase. Um, And it was actually my sister I later discovered. (laughs) So bless her. She was one of the only people that like actually tried to get me help. And I lied through my teeth to the therapist. Oh, really? What did you say? They said, um, they were like, you know, like with lots of high achieving girls, we sometimes find that when they're not doing so well, they might take it out on themselves. Like they, they like talked about self-harm and I'd be like, no, no, no. I just like go for a walk or some shit, like fully laid on whatever they wanted to hear, got out of there. And do you think that the reason why you continue to not 
actually like do you think the reason why you you didn't want to discuss it was because of what your mother had said to you when you were younger do you think it was like that kind of harboring that whole idea of you can't talk about bad feelings um i'm not sure i've never thought about it that way i've just thought about it in terms of most people i have talked to or heard their stories have had similar experiences of not wanting to talk about it I would say a lot of it was like kind of cry for help kind of behavior, but waiting for someone, like the offer of help was not enough. Like mm. I think it had to be like, there's something wrong with you. You need, we need to fix this. Yeah, I get that. It's almost like you want to be fully rescued. Yes. Like you want someone to come in. I don't in. just want to be helped. I want yeah. to be like swooped in, yeah. fixed. Mm. I think for a long time I carried this hope that something would happen and that would fix me. Yeah. And less now, but I mean, I've worked on that a lot, but yeah, a lot, a long time. I used to be like, I wish I could just get really sick so then I could just get fixed. And it like, it's strange how your brain will say that like, you know, if you had like a, a very strong physical illness or something and you had to go into hospital, pause your life, that somehow my mental illness would also fix itself in that time. Because I know now that I would still have to address that side by side to whatever illness my brain had decided I would have. But, you know, I still I ignore the fact that I would probably have had to do therapy during that time to actually fix my <laughs> issues. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just held with me that there was like something wrong with me mm. that needed to be fixed. And no, that could yeah. be fixed. But yeah. I think now I see it more as like you can't fix it. You can deal with it and you can cope with it. But like it's not it's not a problem to be fixed. It's just there. No, I see that. I, I agree. You kind of – I remember when I was younger and I was obviously, you know, very anxious but didn't realize what it was. I just wanted someone to just come in and just be like, Maddie, this is what the issue is. We're going to take you away to a retreat for six weeks. Dude, We're yes. going to fix your brain. You're going to come back. You're not going to be scared to talk to people in authority. You're not going to be scared of, of like everything in the world. Ugh. Yes, absolutely. The retreat thing is yeah. definite. Like I thought about that a lot. Yeah, literally. And one of someone I went to school with who was in my year, she ended up having quite a lot of similar issues to me, had to take quite a lot of time off school and went to hospital and like the whole shebang. And I was so jealous that she got to do that, which sounds so fucked up. In no, hindsight. that makes sense. But yeah, I was so jealous that like, yeah, I don't know why. I remember also you telling me at one point that this is the around the time that you started to kind of deal with dysphoria. Yes. Okay. So, so what was that like? And, and talk us through that. So I started like exploring gender sexuality quite young. Well, not super young, but like, like early high school. And originally, so again, with the trying to figure out what was wrong with me, um, I was like, okay, well, clearly that this is it. This is obviously it. And I was like, okay. And then kind of just ignored it for a long time, but kind of not really. Like I, I fully believed it that I was like, no, there's no way. Because I, I remember Googling one time when I was at work. I worked at Woolies. Well, I worked at Woolies yeah. too. I worked in the deli department. Oh, so. my God. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Get me fresh meats from here. Yeah. And I was on my, like, 10-minute break or whatever. And I remember Googling, like, trans man or something, like, along those lines and reading a Wikipedia article on, like, whoever the first – I don't know. I don't even know who it was on. Maybe being like, okay, reading all the list of things that, like, he had experienced or whatever. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, okay, great. Tick. I'm not trans. Perfect. I'll just move on. Whatever. And then fast forward another three years. I think it was a lot of things. I think, you know, anyone who's had similar experiences will know how complex um, identity is, specifically when it's to do with your gender, because it's not just 
your body, well, at least for me, it's not just my body, it's not just my gender, it's everything because those things play into your whole life. Like yeah. as much as it's not, as much as we wish it weren't this way, but at the moment, like everywhere you go, your gender is a part of your experience. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's not like, yeah, maybe online. Maybe that's the only one when you just don't disclose. That's the only thing. But still, people are going to make an assumption, whatever. So I started, Um, it kind of, yeah, I think maybe because I had decided that I was 100% not trans that um it definitely crept up on me and then all of a sudden once I was in year 12 I was like shit dude <laughs> maybe I am trans <laughs> um well not even I was just all of a sudden I was like yeah this is me I was like I'm a man that's it really yeah yeah and so I really my whole year 12 pretty much I was like planning how at the end of the year I was going to move to Sydney and I was going to just live as a man boom done really obviously in my head I thought it was going to be as clear cut as that (laughs) done that was me fixed yeah and then I remember when I heard that like other people in my school had got into like the same residential college or something and I was like shit dude I was like go away this is my space for a fresh start like fuck off um and I remember having to message one of the one of the girls who moved with me for context, everyone, I went to an all-girls school. Just for context. Yeah. Um, Fun times. And I remember having to text her being like, hey, I don't know what you've heard on the grapevine, but I, like, I'm a man. And so when we start college together, like, I need you to call me this name and like, blah, 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 blah. And she was like, okay. In the message, she was like, that's fine. And um, then I went to college did not do any of those things. <laughs> I think maybe because my parents were there to move me in. I have, I was a nervous wreck. But the week before, like, didn't eat, didn't sleep, vomited every morning. Fuck. I was fucking dying. And then I remember even, I think we started maybe on the Monday was the first day of O-Week. And the Wednesday is the first day in weeks that I'd eaten three full meals. And I remember having a celebration with my very fresh new friends being like, yay, <laughs> I've eaten three meals in one day, yay. Um, it was really interesting because although I had kind of given up on a fresh start idea, it kind of was. Like I remember, and um, just so you all know, I was very popular in first year of college, just so you know. <laughs> very cool, very edgy, very popular. And um, I remember I was sitting in my room one day and I could, I always had my door open. I was one of those people. I'm still one of those people. I could hear the boy who lived opposite me and his friends like, okay, I don't know if they knew that I was in my room because in hindsight, this is a very weird thing to do, but they were, I think they were on my Facebook profile. Well, actually I know they were because I could hear them talking about me. What? Yeah, I know. And I was like, I was one of those people who craved to know what other people thought of me. I think because growing up, I was so paranoid that someone would like see past the facade or something like that. Mm. Like I would, okay, I don't know if you remember this like thing on Facebook where it would be like people answer questions about you, but it was like a weird game. Oh, form spring? No, no, no. It wasn't that. I was, oh. It was so, it was so weird. It was like this Facebook game where oh. you like answer questions about people or something. And I was like, and you had to like, you had to answer questions about other people in order, in order to see what people said about you. Oh, my God. It was no. really fucked up. I don't know how I got onto this. But anyway, I would, like, scroll through them to be like, does anyone think I'm a lesbian or, like, what is this? Anyway, none of the questions were ever exactly what I wanted to know what people thought about me, but whatever. But, yeah, so I was really intrigued to listen to what um, was being said about me. And I remember kind of hearing, like, wow, Matter's really cool. And I was like, yeah, I am really cool. <laughs> But I could also hear them talk about, like, not sure, like, if Matt is a boy or a girl, but, like, they seem to be really cool anyway. And I was like, oh, shit, dude. <laughs> yes, I am. And I remember hearing that. And I remember hearing from another friend of mine that on the grapevine they had heard a similar thing. Like, I don't know if Matt is a boy or a girl, but, like, I don't really care. And I was like, 
Ha ha ha. Wow. Yeah. That's like very, I just, I feel like if I'd gone to uni like a few years, I went to uni a few years before you did. Yeah. I don't think anyone would have been that like accepting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was really strange for me because those experiences I had in my very first semester were so positive of being like, because I wore a suit to all my formal engagements and all these things and nobody knew who I was. I, I, um, wore a binder pretty much all day, every day. Oh, okay, so you were binding your breasts at this Yeah, stage. absolutely. And so definitely I was very – in my brain I was, wouldn't have been androgynous at all because I was so hypocritical, but to other people I probably would have been. Mm. I had very, very short hair and um, it was really interesting to me because everyone was really kind and good. Like um, the guy that li- who lived opposite me, on the very, very first day we had to wear a tie and I stupidly <laughs> – I just not brought any. I just I had my suit jacket, I had my suit shirts, I had my suit pants that I'd bought, my mum had bought with me, which was like blessed but also a traumatic experience. <laughs> um and and then this guy was like I had to knock on his door and just be like, Hi, like I'm Maddo, I live opposite you, like nice to meet you. Do you by any chance have a tie I could borrow for tonight? And he was like, Yeah, dude, bring whatever shirt and jacket you're wearing and we'll match your tie. And he oh. was like, it was just such a beautiful experience um, for me. And I think it was so strange because I had all of these positive experiences in my first semester. And then fast forward to two and a half years later when we all knew each other extremely well. And I lived in residential college for three years. Um, and it was completely different by then. No one was kind of um, putting on their accepting graces by then. Really? And I think, I mean, I was never treated poorly for my gender or my sexuality but a a good friend of mine kind of was and we had a lot of negative experiences later with those um, people who were initially so accepting and then later maybe felt more secure in their brand of masculinity which was unfortunate but it was really interesting for me to see I think when people think about college especially at the University of Sydney where I was they think toxic masculinity which is very true and fair Um, and I think even for me, it's so difficult to to blend these two experiences I had. Like I saw that toxic toxicity so clearly so many times, but then I also saw this place that literally saved my life. Like I think if I hadn't had those experiences, who knows what have happened? You know what I mean? So it was very, very strange. Um, and yeah, I think it was the, so freeing to just be in a place where people didn't know who I was. I didn't have to explain myself. I didn't have to answer any questions. I could just live. But yeah, it was really interesting. And then I ended up kind of realizing over the three years that I was first at college that, um, or actually probably over the first year, I realized that I wasn't a man. Really? I went too far. <laughs> so what was that like? How did Confusing. You, how did you come to the conclusion? Mm. I'm actually not sure. I think, well, I think part of it was, so I had been binding a lot and uh, relatively safely, as in I used a proper binder. I tried not to wear it more than I should, never slept in it, but I developed really bad back pain because they they really, like, they're just, that's what happens kind of. But anyway, I had to stop binding because I was in a lot of pain. And um, it was kind of that experience maybe that made me realize that this wasn't the only thing that was creating my happiness. I had to be like, like, if that makes sense. No, that does. It wasn't living as a man, which I kind of wasn't doing. People still used she for me. They they knew that I wasn't a man. And I think then I kind of was like, maybe I'm not a man, which I'm definitely not. (laughs) Um. But yeah, that was a, I actually don't even have that many memories about coming to that realization. I think instead of realizing I wasn't a man, I more just realized like I'm neither a man nor a woman. And so then I came to this realization of being non-binary and um, I've definitely floated through several different identities within that umbrella. But now I just settle with non-binary. It's just a bit easier for me 
to be like, that includes so many different options. So it doesn't matter which one fits me at any one time. I'm still non-binary. Yeah. <laughs> so that's for that me the easiest. Like I can still be, I can be a non-binary woman. So then in second year, I started asking my close friends to use they pronouns for me. And that's kind of when I started fully like acknowledging and accepting for myself that that was my identity. And yeah, it was actually really interesting how dysphoria subsided for me a lot once I was able to be like, this is not a woman's body. This is a non-binary body. Yeah, I kind of gave myself the freedom to love my body without defining it in that way. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, which is really lucky for me. I'm really fortunate in that way. There are days where I'm like, I hate xyz about my body but now i'm lucky that that's not very frequent yeah and i mean what person doesn't have days where they're like i hate this 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 yeah. about my body and i think as well for me in those days i just don't take pictures of myself and i don't look in the mirror and like i have lots of different clothes that i can wear now i don't bind anymore because it's very painful for me now mm. yeah i just kind of have figured that out and i have friends who who know that about me and so I can be like, this is what I'm feeling today. I just need you to sit with me, um, which is really, I'm really, really fortunate to have. But yeah, it was very up and down that whole gender experience. Yeah, I have some really horrible memories, especially late, like late school, once I finished year 12, the summer before I came to uni, because I was so desperate to be free of where I was at that moment that it was horrible. Like, yeah, I have really dark memories of that time. And I'm just really grateful that I kind of figured it out a little bit, or at least figured it out to the point where I'm like, oh, I don't need to figure it out. It's just there. It is what it is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's very, I'm sure that's very freeing for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, I, th- I found something recently that's super freeing is that hearing people use she for me doesn't sting anymore. Wow. Which is really interesting. And I think it's partly because I know that there are many defini- definitions to be a woman of how to be a woman. And I know that like part of the time I fit into that and I'm fine with that. And I think it was a very, having my, this sounds corny, but having my trans experience, (laughs) we'll take it, kind of did teach me that like, there's no one way to be a woman. There's no one way to be a non-binary. I'm sure there's no one way to be a man, but I don't know because I don't experience that. (laughs) That was really freeing to know that I could, that I can just live my life, that I actually don't have to be defining myself in that way. But yeah, unfortunately that realization did not solve all of my mental health issues, but it did help me to like separate them, which was very helpful. And how is like your relationship with your parents in regards to talking about things such as mental illness and depression? It is good now. I have always been very independent is the wrong word because I talk to my parents a lot like god when I got to do washing how do I wash this when I've got to like make any decision how do I do this in terms of my health um physical and mental health I've always been pretty independent and so I went through getting my therapist going on medication on my own I talked to my sister about it but I didn't talk to my parents about it at all I had this rule for myself before I started medication that I was like I won't tell them that I'm getting help or going to the doctor or anything but when I start medication I'll have to tell them and I didn't I actually only told my mum in 2018 so last year because she had come over I had to have a colonoscopy totally obviously unrelated oh my god yes and, I remember when you were <laughs> yeah and I was like oh oh god I'm gonna have to tell her that I'm on daily medication because a she's taking me to the hospital b she's staying in my house so she's gonna I'm gonna have to either take them in secret <laughs> which I've done before but like 
when I'm there for a medical procedure, it's like I, I just – it felt so wrong to to have her looking after me. Like it's not a big procedure but still looking after me and then me just not disclosing that to her. So I did end up telling her and I think she was surprised mainly because I hadn't told her and I've always been – I'm quite open about like everything. So I think that was a surprise but I think we've had a few talks about it. I don't think I'll ever talk to them about like the gory nitty-gritty details because I just think it's not helpful. Hmm for us where we are like I don't think I need that from my parents anymore yeah like I've acknowledged that I'm I, I mourn what could have been of my childhood and youth and whatever I'm still young whatever um You're a baby I'm a baby but I think I, I do mourn that but I'm I don't find I don't need an apology from my parents I don't need them to be like oh we should have I know what they should have done like I don't need that from them so we don't talk about it super openly but I also don't talk about it super openly with most people because I'm lucky in that I'm managing quite well now so there's not a lot of days where I'm like need to talk to someone so pretty good um with gender stuff obviously I had to tell them when I was moving to Sydney um look as someone I don't communicate super well about those things I do better now but at the start I just did not want to talk about it I just wanted nobody to question me just let me live whatever so I did I I wrote them a letter the very end of my year 12 and then I went away camping and I left it on my parents bed and um I pretty much never spoke to them about the letter (laughs) in which I was like I'm your son, um, use he pronouns, we can pick a name together, like all this stuff, and then just did not acknowledge <laughs> it. Just I just ignored it. My dad, bless him, he um he ended up emailing the queer officers of the Queer Activist Collective at University of Sydney, <laughs> who they're like a student um collective, and he emailed them being like I, my child is going to uni at your uni next year. Like, what do I do? How do I help? Which is beautiful. I know. What a sweet angel. And I think my mum was a little bit like, why are you being so extra? <laughs> and I think she as well, she was like, dude, I think if I had actually been a trans man, I think she actually would have been fine. But I think in my heart of hearts, I knew that that wasn't the case, which is why I was being so weird about it, if that makes sense. Like, I wasn't talking about it, but then I wasn't not talking about it. And then I wasn't living as a man, but I I wasn't... It was a very confusing time for everyone, Um, especially because I refused to acknowledge that it was weird at all <laughs> to not talk about this stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, and so my mum and I have, like, talked about it a few times now. We recently talked about – well, not recently, probably a year ago now <laughs> – talked about my pronouns and, like, because my housemate, John, used to use they pronouns. And so she was like, why do you always say they for John? I was like, oh, well, um, like, that's what John's pronouns that John uses, blah, 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 blah. And, um, like, and I was like, oh, this is probably a good opportunity to be like, by the way, that's also the pronouns that I use. Like, that's what my friends use for me. That's what my sister uses for me. And she was like, yeah, I've noticed EJ, my sister, use is they for you and I was like but I don't mind if you use she for me I don't mind at all and now as well I I don't if it had been three years ago I'd have been like fuck you no (laughs) but now I'm like you know what those words don't really hold power over me as much like I Mm. I say now that they is more accurate but she is not is not wrong for me like yeah so now it's pretty good I think I don't know if this is a weird thing to say I think if I needed to be needed to talk to them about it it would be fine for both my parents but it's kind of just like we just don't really need there's not much to say yeah it's kind of like it's not really a big issue for me anymore so why do I need to? You know what I mean? I think it, we're, we're, I'm very lucky. It's very chill now. But I think as well, yeah, I don't know. I'm just chiller, more chiller now. <laughs> You're a mature person. Yeah, like I was very neurotic earlier. Oh, my God. Who isn't? Yeah, literally. 
Have you been a teen if you haven't had a period of being super neurotic? I mean, you know me. I'm the oh, most dear. neurotic person and, in the world. And I love it. So I feel it. <laughs> do you think now in 2019 you feel like your mental health is at a good place? Do you feel like you are happy? Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you feel happy? In this moment? Yes. I feel happy right now. I think I am more realistic about what happiness is. I think for most of my life and life and I'm talking like until 4 or 5 months ago, I fully believed it was possible for me to just be happy all the time. Oh. I'm one of those people. Yeah, no, no, it's not. <laughs> and in my heart of hearts, I still wish that, but yeah. I, I know now that it's okay. And I'm starting to be able to differentiate between serious bad moments and moments that everyone has. You know, like you have a bad day at work, you come home, you're tired, realizing that you've just had a bad day at work, you've come home and you're tired, you're not having a breakdown. I think for a lot of my life, I was, and I'm still vigilant, but I was hyper vigilant about my mental health, about if I had one bad night of sleep, does this mean that I'm not going to sleep for weeks now? Like now I'm more like, I probably, and again, this is what my psychiatrist says to me. She says, the common occurs commonly. And I'm like, Sue, stop it. It's too real. And she's like, that's why I told you, you actual dum-dum. And I'm like, okay, that's true. So now when I'm tired, and especially because I work in retail full time, I'm like, of course I'm tired. I've just stood up on my legs for like, 10 and a half hours. Yes, of course you're tired. And then I did that also the day before. So obviously I'm tired. And I think... I'm more used to that now. I think I'm, my main learning has been of like, this sounds so strange to someone who hasn't experienced this, but like learning the ups and downs of life, you know, like learning that like, it's okay that one day you've watched a documentary on some like teen prodigy. And so now you think you're doing nothing with your life. <laughs> Everyone has that. Like, yes. It doesn't mean it's true. It's just that you're having a moment because you've seen bloody Timmy or whatever, who's 11 and has already had three degrees. You know, it's okay that you have only got zero. That's fine. Fuck. It doesn't matter. Well done, Timmy. Yeah, good for Timmy. But like, I think, yeah, that's my main learning. So I, like, I guess I'm happy in the sense of like, I'm like, fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think I get life. Yeah. Like, I, well, more and more. Mm. We, we definitely have days <laughs> of what the fuck am I doing? Um, but again, realizing that, that that's fine. Mm. Like, I'm about to finish my degree. I don't really know what I'm doing. And that's fine. And that's normal. Most people don't know what they're doing. Whereas like, I feel like, and I also know that even if I did know what I was doing, I'd still feel like I didn't know what I was doing. I think maybe accepting my, and I was going to just say my imperfections, but they're not imperfections because that's just life. Mm. Like, it's not like I could be feeling not that way. Like, I'm always going to feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. So I think I'm definitely happier in that sense in that I, I'm more accepting of life, I think, without being too cynical. I'm pretty cynical, but not too much. And I think it's a healthy balance. I think um, I still have a lot of work to do, but I think now it's more maintenance work. It's work about figuring out stuff that I probably, probably a lot of people would just figure out with their friends, but because I've built up these walls about being perfect, probably more helpful for me to do with a therapist. <laughs> so, Monica, I will text you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, before we go, Matt, what is something that you wish you could have been told five or six years down the track? Okay. Um, Words of wisdom, babe. Okay. Go. <laughs> okay, so this is actually something that my housemate's mum tells him on a regular basis. And it's like a little bit, you can take it two ways, but if you take it the way I take it, it's going to be helpful. She says, no one cares, John. No one cares about you. <laughs> and don't take it in a sad way. Take it in a like, I can do whatever the fuck I want because nobody cares. I'm not sitting there late at night being like, oh, what is John doing today? I really care about that. Like, 
I don't care. Nobody cares. Like, even my sister, she was, like, looking for a job recently. And I was like, dude, nobody cares. Like, just apply for a job. If you don't get it, no one's going to be like, oh, did you hear EJ didn't get that job? Oh, like, my God, EJ, what the hell? No one's going to care. No. If she gets the job, people will be like, oh, that's good. And they'll probably just keep playing Mario Kart or whatever they're doing. <laughs> like, like, I think we all, especially with social media growing up now, you think that everyone's watching everything that you do. But really, nobody cares. No. Nobody cares. I think... Yeah, I think that was something that really helped me to be like, nobody actually cares if I don't know who I am. They just care that I'm not going to, like, punch them in the face. It's really all they care about. Mm. And that, like, I'm not going to steal their food. <laughs> like, that's the two things. You know what I mean? I mean, I hate when people steal my food. Yeah, and I'm known to steal food, so it's a fair enough fear. But, like, yeah, that's something that I would tell my younger self is that actually – it doesn't matter. Nobody cares what your gender is. Nobody like, actually cares. I think that's so true. It's so freeing. You're mm. like, it It literally has no bearing on anyone what I do. Yeah. Just do what you want to fucking do. Yeah. And I love like, that. Yeah. And especially like, they're not watching. You're probably going to have to ask for attention. <laughs> like, don't worry. I love that. Yeah. So I think internalize that. Not in a sad way. No, the good way. In a freeing way. Freeing way. In a liberating way. Maddo, you've been amazing. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for doing this again. Dude, it's my joy. You're the most patient person in the world. You know I love to hear my own voice. Uh, let's go get food. <laughs> yes. Okay. Ugh. Bye, guys. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that was just my first episode. How amazing was Meadow in that interview? So inspiring, so articulate. Ugh, couldn't have asked for a better first guest. Look, I really appreciate the fact that you've all given me a go, given this a red hot listen. I know it's really hard to take the time to start a new podcast, to invest a good half an hour to an hour of your life. So I really appreciate you um, doing that and giving me a chance. Guys, as usual with every other podcast in the world, you can find me on iTunes and Spotify, which is fantastic. Um, and I would really appreciate if you have a spare moment or so, um, you can go to iTunes and you can rate and review me. This is all you need to say. Um, Maddie is a vision. She is some sort of genius. Uh, this podcast has changed my life. Something like that. Very simple, very elegant. And if you would like to be on the podcast or just have something interesting to tell me, that's amazing. You can reach me at if you don't mind podcast at gmail.com. I'm very eager to hear from everybody and anybody. So don't be shy. Most importantly, guys, be kind to people out there. Be kind to yourself. And I hope you can join me in two weeks time for number two. And one more time, thank you so much because this whole, this whole journey has scared me shitless, but I'm super glad I did it. Bye guys.